don't know about you, but I'm having, I'm having a little trouble in my mind. There's a little disconnect there, isn't it? I mean, usually if we played Silent Night, there'd be pictures of Jesus in a manger. Those are pictures of our nation in the past year and a little bit maybe before that. And yet, each week we've been reading Isaiah 9, 6 that says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the angels at the, at the night Jesus was born said to the shepherds, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. And yet we see visions like this. We see these sites and our news feeds and our, uh, all of our social media and all the things. Why isn't there peace on earth if Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he would come to bring peace on earth? I, I, I want you to remember today, peace is a privileged gift. That's not something that we have uh, in and of ourselves usually. And uh, I forget who said it, but someone said that in the world, when there's peace, it's usually just everybody took a pause to reload and that we're about to go to fighting again. Well, one of the problems we have with this is that we don't understand the word peace. Now, I understand that peace, and this is true, I mean, peace can be just a stopping of, of conflict or war, and that's inherent in the word. It's to make amends. It's to bring an end to Conflict, But there's another part of that word, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that means to make complete or to make whole, to, that, that there's a bro brokenness or a, or a, or a problem in, in a life or a system, and that he makes it whole. I, I, wanna, I want you to understand that is what peace means. And, and the word there in the Old Testament that we read is the word shalom, and that's how we'd say it in English. If we said it in Hebrew, it'd have a little more... Uh, emphasis and some guttural sounds and things but it's basically shalom and so that word is that meaning of to make complete or hold and then in the in the new testament it's it's basically the same meaning but there is a picture given of christ in the old testament in a man named melchizedek and in genesis the bible tells a story of, of these groups of kings that were overtaken by an enemy, Abraham, it was close to Abraham, then he was still known as Abram, and his, his nephew Lot was also taken, and, and so Abram had a vested interest in it. So he got his war, his uh, warriors, he had about 300 in his private army. They went, they conquered uh, these kings that had taken away their things and their people and brought them back to the kings of the land. And when he brought them back, the Bible says this man came out who was a king of Salem and a king of righteousness. But the way our Bible puts it, he was the priest of the Most High God. If you can translate those words, King of Right or King of Righteousness. And so the New Testament lets us know this is a figure of Christ. In fact, this priest comes out, and the reason this is so important, did I tell you who he came out to see? He came out to see Abram. Well, what makes that important? The Bible points it out. He points out that Melchizedek was a priest before Abram had any children, before he had a son who would have a son, who would have 
12 or 13 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those great-grandsons of Abram who would become Abraham was Levi. He was the tribe of priests. And there's this priest of the Most High God before that was even established. And he just pops out. Nobody knows where he came from. It just says he's the king of Salem, but there's a hint there. The word Salem is a variation of the word Shalom. He's the king of peace. Jerusalem is the city of peace. And he's also known as the king of the most high God or the king of righteousness. And so this Melchizedek appears and Abraham gives him 10% of the spoils that not only did he bring back what belonged to the kings have been taken... But he brought a little extra. And out of that, he took the 10% of it and paid it to this priest. Well, the Bible in Psalm 110 goes to refer to that Melchizedek as at least an image or a picture of Christ. It says this in Psalm 110.4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that's a verse referring to the Messiah. And then we come to Hebrews 7. And the writer of Hebrews makes a pointed point that this Melchizedek was about Christ it says he is without mother or father genealogy now when it says that in Hebrews it's just pointing to Old Testament reference that says we don't know where he came from we don't know where he went a lot of people in the Bible we don't know who their mom and dad are a lot of people in the Bible we don't know how they died when they died where they died but the but the writer of Hebrews is saying that was a pointed thing that the writer in Genesis had put there so that Melchizedek, at least on the surface, looks like he came from no earthly father and mother and had no earthly end. That does remind you of Jesus, who had no earthly father. He had only a heavenly father. And he died, but he got up, and he's still alive. Amen. He's still there. And so the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, He had neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So his priesthood lasts forever because, scripturally, he never died. He didn't go to death. You see, when Abraham's great-grandson Levi started the priestly class as God told him to, the reason that you had a different high priest through history is the old one kept dying. And so you needed a new one. And then he'd die, so you needed another new one. Well, Melchizedek at least is a picture of not dying. Jesus, as our high priest, died, but he rose again just three days later. Nobody had a chance to take his place. Nobody could take his place. And he lives forevermore. He's alive right now. And what is that high priest doing? The Bible tells us in Timothy, he's making intercession for the saints. He's there pleading our case. He's the lawyer for us. And Hebrews goes on to say, But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in other cases, by one whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say, Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes. Through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, why is that? Why am I saying all that? I'm saying this because Melchizedek is a picture of a king of peace. Abraham 
pays him tithes. We don't even know why Abraham would do that. We don't know any association of Melchizedek and Abraham. But Abraham recognized him as this priest of God and gave him 10%. And the Bible is telling us in Hebrews that is another picture to show that that Abraham's and the law that came through Abraham's family is not sufficient to save us, but rather there is a greater priest. There's a greater priesthood of whom Jesus is in that priesthood. And it's only two people, unless you believe Melchizedek is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. That's kind of where I am. But when he did that, he was saying that the law has to pay tithes to grace and the grace of God. And the idea that this prince of peace would come. You see, I read you in Luke 2, 14, where the angels said, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace. It's, the words are very similar, Old Testament, New Testament, in, in their meaning. So, so you're, you're there. And I told you, I'm having this disconnect because he's supposed to be prince of peace. And we just showed you on these films, all these riots, these burnings. This is in our nation. This is crazy to us. Why in the world is this going on? But it gets worse for me. I was reading in the New Testament doing research for this. I've read this before, just in case. But I just want to make it a little more dramatic. And I look up the word peace, and I find the New Testament references where Jesus said these words. Don't think I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. What? Wait a minute, I thought he's the prince of peace. I thought he was going to come and bring peace on earth, right? Isn't that what you see in all the advertisements and things that people dare to put on, on still dare to put on television now uh, in these days, but you see them in commercials and things, peace on earth, peace on earth. And we hear, like again, silent night with peace on earth. But we want to show you some images to say, wait a minute, what's the problem? Well, here's the problem. It's not a problem of peace it's a problem of where is that pivot point where we go from war to peace. And I want to just make a quick statement. It ain't political. That's bad English. It's good theology. It's not political. It's not, it's not by making new laws. None of that brings peace on earth. And it cannot bring peace on earth. There's warfare. Jesus came to bring a sword of division. Matthew 10, 34 is this where one of the places Jesus said it. Do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. Well, that's just confusing until you read the rest. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemy will be those of his own household. Whoever loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In Luke 12, 51, where we read the story there of Jesus' birth, where he says that he would bring peace on earth. 12 chapters later, 10 chapters later in 12, 51, says, Do not think I've come to bring peace on the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against, he says the same thing, man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, Person's enemies be those of his own household. Whoever loves mother and father more than me, excuse me, more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about that the way to peace is not by the external, it's by the internal. And in John chapter uh, 14 and verse uh, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He is telling us that peace can never be external, it's internal. That Jesus brings peace to the individual. All that writing, all that stuff you just saw, how do you bring peace in a situation like that? Well, there is a way to do that. It's not immediate. It'd be very difficult in the midst of that kind of chaos. But the way the peace is brought is change every one of those rioters' hearts. To believe Jesus is the Messiah, he has the answer, and they surrender their life to him. You see, there should not be any conflict between those who are believers in Christ because all of us are dedicated to doing the will of God. And God doesn't give us different wills to obey. He's got a will that's found in the Scripture, a thing He wants, and it's our job to obey that will. You see, I kept reading Luke 2.14, but I didn't emphasize the part that explains why the disconnect in our minds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those among those with whom he's well pleased. In other words, when God saves a man, he brings peace into his life. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is peace, right? We are, we are to have peace with God. I, and, and I know what you're saying when you say it, but I've said it myself. When you say, well, I prayed about it, but I just don't have a peace about it. Well, wait a minute. Peace is part of the fruit of the Spirit. You ought to be walking in peace. You can say, I don't believe it's God's will for me to do it. But you should have been at peace even when you were struggling with the situation. Does that make sense? That you're following God, you're seeking God, and God's bringing peace to your heart. I understand what you mean. It's like you're in conflict, not sure what to do. And now, I thought it through and I believe this is God's will and it brings a calmness to us. But the world thinks peace is an external where we are not mad at each other. I mean... Since modern, what I call modern music and the progressions of it, any, any era has modern music. But music starting in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and on till today, there's a lot of, you know, all the world needs is peace. If we just love each other, just, here's the problem with that. I, I agree. If we had love, if we would just be nice to each other, we wouldn't have all these conflicts. But evil exists The devil exists and he works in people to bring about conflict. And the only way to stop that is that person who's bringing conflict, get them to know who Jesus is. And then when they're saved, God can change them. Change them into the image of Jesus Christ. No matter how much we mar the image of God in mankind, Jesus has the power to bring us back to the image of Christ. It says in Corinthians, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away and all things become new. The Bible says we are being changed from image to image, glory to glory into that image of Christ. It says, have this mind in you that was also in Christ. That we can have the mind of Christ. We can think like he thought, do like he did. Jesus will bring peace in your life. And when you, get, when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't just say, I'm a Christian because you believe all the rest are wrong. So this one must be right. So, okay, I believe that. And go on. To be a Christian means that you are a dedicated, sold out, 100% follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you are, his will becomes your will. That his desire becomes your desire. You don't make a choice outside of him. We see people that call themselves Christians. We make mistakes. We see them make mistakes. Some people act contrary to the will of God. We know that. That's sin. They need help. We need prayer. But I want you to understand, if you're walking with Christ, there's some things Jesus does for you. He brings peace into your life. And I would 
tell you some areas. First of all, in yourself. You quit being at war with yourself. Now, that's something I'm very well aware of. You know, I've been saved a long time, uh, since I was eight years old. But there are some days that I still have conflict within myself. I think wrong thoughts about myself. I think wrong thoughts about what God wants to do in my life. And, and it's a struggle. But when I submit to the will of God, when I seek out God's will for my life, when I don't let Satan's lies become a truth to me, then I know the peace of God. And it, you can only know the peace of God if you've got peace with God. That's why Jesus put on an earth suit and came and lived with us and lived a perfect life by the power of the Holy Spirit as a man, as a human, born to Mary. He lived that perfect life. He died on a cross to pay for my sin so that I could have peace with God who, with whom I used to be an enemy. The Bible says the flesh is at war or is the enemy of God and God made peace with us even though we were the ones that should be making peace with him. And in Christ, we can be at peace. Because Jesus took all the wrath meant for me, and he took it on himself. And when he died in my place, the wrath of God was satisfied. The sin of man was justified. And Jesus, taking God by one hand and man by another hand, brought us together. So that we could be one in him. Amen? And so when we know we have that kind of peace in Christ, we can be at peace in ourselves. We can be at peace in our family. Now, everybody makes jokes about it. Holiday time, everybody gets together, be Thanksgiving, Christmas. Talk about, they make movies about the conflicts in families during holiday times. I, I could mention a few movies that I could think of, but I won't. <laughs> um, but I, you know what I'm talking about. There's just a, there's just a, a, a lot of them out there. And, and, and in reality, there are families that get together and fight's going to break out. Something's going to happen. There's going to be discontent. Why? Well, if you say you're all saved, there's only two options. And that is you're either ignorant of the fact that peace is available and you don't know how to access it, or you're just in sin and rebelling against God. The third option is you're not saved. That is an option. But God can bring peace in a family that's in conflict when we all say, you know what? I'm not walking with Christ. You know, you know why you fight with people? I can tell you why. Because you think you're right. Don't you? I mean, if you didn't think you were right, you wouldn't keep doing what you've been doing. You do something different. But you figure what way you do it's the right way to do it. That's why we have conflicts in marriage. That's why I have conflicts in families. Because as my sister said when she was a very little girl playing with her cousin, he was a boy named Charles. And Charles was just a wildcat kind of guy. And they were very little, like three, four, five years old. And I've only heard these stories because I wasn't even around then. That my sister walked in the house one day and she was kind of upset. My mom said, what's wrong? And she said, Charles won't play the way God wants him to. <laughs> now, I don't know what she meant by that. I don't know what he did. But her attitude was that she was right and he was wrong. You know what? We never outgrow that. We always think we're right. And if I'm right, obviously you're wrong if you don't agree with me. Right? There's only one right and it's Christ. And a true believer, when he's having conflict, can step back and look at his life and say, okay, what am I contributing to this conflict? Where am I wrong in this? How can, I, how can I bring peace in this situation? But there's another place we have conflict. 
that we shouldn't if we're all in Christ and that's in a church. Now I can say that very loudly and boldly here at Calvary because <clears throat> this church has got, had its problems obviously but by and large we, we get along pretty good. But I have seen churches being torn apart over the dumbest stuff. I mean you got to be an idiot to be fighting over that but yet we fight over it. The problem is not what you're fighting over. The problem is the person who's fighting wants to have control. You can read about that in 2nd 3rd John. He said, Diotrephes, who always wants to have the preeminence, causing conflict in the church. I'll take care of him when I get there. John said, now the, 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 the disciple that wrote about the love of Christ said, I'm going to handle him when I get there. Now that's scary. When a lamb roars, you pay attention, right? John understood love of God meant sometimes you have to lay hands on people strongly. Amen. But in our churches and, and across our landscape, churches are at war with one another. Denominations at war with one another. You know, there's enough in the Bible that we know is true that we don't have to fight over what we're not. Well, it's all true that we don't understand. We don't have to fight over what we don't understand. If I, if I mention eschatology, some of y'all go, what's that? Some of y'all give me an opinion. Some of y'all may have studied it and say, I think you're wrong. And I can look at you and go, well, I think you're wrong, but so what? There's one thing we agree on when it comes to eschatology. That's a big word. It means things about the end times. It's this. Jesus is coming back. Amen? We can all agree about that. And so let's agree on that and live as if it could be today. We don't know when he's coming. People that make dates make fools of themselves because we don't know. And so in our churches, when, we, when, we, when people want to fight, we ought to just stop and go, wait a minute, stop. Why are we fighting? Let's pray. Let's find out God's will, because as I said, God doesn't make two-headed monsters. And God will reveal to us His will. And when we do His will, we're at peace, because there's only right, one right, and that's God, right? The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So why do we listen to men instead of God? We need to go to God and say, God... We're not smart enough to figure this out. Would you give us wisdom? James 1 says that if you ask him for wisdom, he'll give it liberally and won't even fuss at you about it. He'll give it to you. But if we don't have that peace in our life, we're either ignorant of his promises for peace. And I don't want you to be ignorant. He promises peace to those who come to him. Peace with God so we have the peace of God in our lives. Or we're not depending on his grace in order to have that peace. Ignorance is one thing, but then... Absolute rejection of God's gracious gift to you is another. It is just as rebellious to refuse the gift after salvation as to refuse Christ before salvation. We need to walk in peace and we need to depend upon his grace to do so. And I've already told you the third option, that you're not saved. You don't know Christ. You may think you do, you may have said you do. But in your heart you know that you are still living your own life by your own will. And you have to surrender your will to an almighty God in Christ Jesus. You see, Isaiah 9, 6 is not telling a lie, and neither is, are the angels when they told the shepherds he would bring peace. There's coming a day when we will see peace as the world understands it, where it will be external and men will live together in harmony. But you know what, when that's going to come? It's going to come in the midst of a war. I don't know a lot about eschatology, but I know this. What is going on on earth when Jesus mounts that big white war stallion in heaven? People say, are there animals in heaven? Well, according to Revelation, we at least got some horses up there. I don't know about the rest. If you're a horse person, you can say amen in your heart out loud. I don't care. But 
Uh, there's some other animals I hope are there. I don't know. I mean, God didn't make us different. He made the world a shadow of what we're going to go see, so probably. But just before Jesus gets that horse saddle, mounts up on it, and calls the armies of heaven to war to ride behind him, and they're going to spill over the ramparts, and they're coming to this earth. What's going on in earth is all the armies of the world have met in Israel and are going to war. And in the midst of that, Jesus is going to come flying down with the armies behind him. And the Bible says, with the sword of his mouth, he will destroy the nations of the world. He will destroy all of those who are fighting. And he will establish a kingdom on this planet. In case you think we're going to get rid of it, we're not. We're not going to ruin it. It's not going away. It'll be here when Jesus comes for it. And when he becomes king, he's going to make peace on all the earth for a thousand years. And then there's going to be this one little minor conflict at the end of a thousand years. He's going to let Satan go for a second. And then that's going to be the end of that. And then he's going to destroy what's here and make a brand new one that's not messed up by sin. He's got us all fixed up. And we will dwell with him in eternity. And we'll have peace. Until then, struggle on. We'll have peace in ourselves and amongst ourselves. Well, the question is, do you have the shalom of God that he wants you to have? Do you have God's peace, that, that completeness, that well-being? Are you made complete in Christ? If not, if not, you just in your heart or physically on your knees, but you fall before his throne and say, God, I need you. There's nothing in me that deserves it, but I want your grace. I want you to save me. Make me yours. I'll do whatever you want from now on. When you do that, God saves you. He makes heaven your destination, and he gives you a personal presence uh, in this life in the Holy Spirit. He, he helps you understand the guidebook to give a little light on the path as you walk through life, and he will, he will honor you, bless that prayer. He will save you. He will make you his own child. But that's what you have to do. Secondly, is Jesus your priest? Are you dependent on your own sacrifices like the Levites had to do? They were making sacrifices, but they weren't sufficient. They were a picture. The Bible says God winked at their sin back then because, here's a quick question for you. How do people in the Old Testament get saved since Jesus hadn't died yet? Simple, the covenant of Abraham. That same one we were talking about, the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him the right, as righteousness. In the New Testament, it's the same thing. You believe God and it counts as righteousness for you. But now you know that which you believe, how God took care of it. The Old Testament, they said, well, I'm trusting God's going to take care of it. I just don't know how. Now we can say we know how. Jesus, God put on flesh. We called him Jesus. He died for our sin and he rose again. And we have faith in that because that is ludicrous. That's crazy. But I'm just crazy enough to believe that if I ask Jesus to save me and I follow him with my life, he will keep his promise and take me to heaven when I die. I'm just that nuts, by the way. And I'm just looking for other crazy people to go with me. In Christ, is Christ your priest? Or are you dependent on your works, your sacrifices to get you there? And lastly, is Jesus bringing peace into your life and your ministry? If you're saved, you've got a ministry with other people. Our goal and our job is to tell every living creature the gospel. That was the commission. Jesus came. He showed us the way. And then he said, by the way, you go into all the world, preach it to every breathing thing that Jesus 
is the way. That salvation, the gospel, it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you come to him and you know him, he will bring peace into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can live your life. Here at Christmas, when the Prince of Peace was born, he is working to bring peace to the world. But there'll still be conflict in the world because not everybody will listen to him. Not everybody has turned to him. We, we, we will not stop abortion by laws. We will not, not stop warfare by laws. We will not stop crime by laws. We can only stop the murderer and the criminal and the warfare when everybody has the Prince of Peace in their life. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, Lord, we who call upon your name and believe in you, We who know that you alone are the righteous one. You are the king of righteousness. You are the king of peace. That Lord, you, your kingdom is already here. When they asked you, when the disciples asked you, Lord, when are you bringing the kingdom? He said, the kingdom's here. It's in you. You've put the kingdom of God in us. And we are part of that kingdom. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so, Lord, may we live as citizens of that kingdom. May we live as citizens of that nation. We have but one king. We have but one truth, and that is your truth. That is your kingdom. It all goes back to you. It all belongs to you. And so, Lord, in our life, may we turn all things back to you and say yes to Jesus, who said yes to a cross and took all the weight of the penalty of my sin upon yourself. Lord, thank you. So that today I can have peace. Knowing I'm at peace with God. I can walk in the peace of God in my life. So Lord I thank you for that. I pray for those under the sound of my voice. Whether in this building or online somewhere. In Jesus name. That they would know the Prince of Peace. Personally. Fully. And that they would depend on you. To bring peace into their life. That you might speak to them your will. Lord, if there's anyone who doesn't know you, Lord, we ask that you would instruct the Holy Spirit to bring them conviction and convince them of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And that, Lord, they would know you, the author and the finisher of our life and our faith and all the things that you want to give us. And in knowing you, they will be at peace. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in God.